Welcome to Ideas Goes Abroad. We are Marlinda and Camila, two students of the Master Programme International Development Studies at Utrecht University. For our studies, the whole class was spread out over the Global South to conduct field research. From Sudan to Costa Rica, from Vietnam to South Africa. From remote villages and rainforests to metropolises and tourist hotspots. We're here to bring you stories from our fellow students who have done research and lived on the other side of the world. In each episode, we'll learn about their adventures and cherished moments and how they managed to do their research while dealing with cultural shocks. In this episode, Tom is going to talk about his fieldwork experience in the Majete Wildlife Reserve area in Malawi. He conducted his research in collaboration with the NGO The Hunger Project on how youth can start up small-scale businesses in the villages around the protected area. As you will hear in the episode, Tom had already gone to his research field in October to conduct some initial focus groups. We found this story inspiring and he offered great insights for conducting research. We hope you enjoy it. Hey Tom, really nice to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be here. We already talked a little bit about your research uh, before we started. And I have to say that it sounds really impressive, all that you already did in Malawi. So uh, I'm really excited to hear more about it. Yes, of course. The the main focus that we had was like how youth can start up small-scale businesses in the immediate vicinity of protected areas. Okay, and... Was there a specific reason that you chose this topic? Do you have like a, a personal connection to it? Um, yeah, actually, there were a couple of reasons why I decided to choose this topic. First of all, um, in my view, the the conservation of nature and the development of rural communities, it's it's both important. And I think if you do not address them in parallel, um, in the long term, you won't have a sustainable solution. For me, I was already working for the organization, uh, the Hunger Project, at our office here in the Netherlands before this idea of this research arised. During a preliminary visit uh, we had in October 2019 to Malawi, the first ideas about this research came up, actually. Can you tell us a bit more about the Hunger Project? Yeah, yeah, of course, I can explain something uh, about the Hunger Project. We are an organization working in relatively stable uh, developing countries, and we are raising funds in 10 more developed countries, you could say. And the strategy that we are implementing together with rural communities um, in nine countries throughout Africa is called um, the AP Center Strategy, in which we work together with rural communities on their own development path. The, the project takes between five and ten years, and in those years, the communities set their own targets, and we kind of facilitate them 
uh, to be able to, to, in the end, reach their own targets. And this is also the project that is being implemented around this nature reserve in the southern part of Malawi. And the project does not solely focuses on youth, but part of this holistic approach that is being implemented is indeed about creating business opportunities. Both adults and young people can get schooled in vocational skills like tailoring or carpentry. Um, after these trainings, community members do not receive any handouts. This is like central in the strategy of the Hunger Project that it's really in the belief that people are able to cope with these issues themselves. So they are expected to save for and then buy the needed materials themselves. You had mentioned uh, back then in uh, October that after the training, they observed that uh, most adults have the opportunity that they, they are able to buy these assets so that they, they can save for these um, sewing machine, for example. So yeah, although the youth they, that they mentioned that they value the training opportunities, they observed that, that adults have the opportunity to buy these materials, like, for example, a sewing machine. Yet, for them, it's more difficult to do so. But to have a sustainable exit, it's important that no one stays behind, like, and that all of them, in the end, have the opportunity to start using their skills by acquiring the materials they, they need to run the business they, they want to run. So I was motivated to, to find out like what would be needed in this area, what, what infrastructure I call it in my research. It's like physical and non-physical supporting structures uh, that, that are needed in this area to, to make sure that all people, both young people and adults, have the opportunity to start and run the business they, they aspire to set up. So cool that you were able to, to do more than just theoretical research. If I understand correctly, your results will be used by the project as well? Yes and no. In the end, like the local offices, like my colleagues from Malawi, they will think what, what would be the best for an area and how to improve our project. Wow, really nice. But for me, this was indeed like an important part. Like the idea that it's more than scientific relevance but that my thesis would have the, at least the opportunity to create something with some development relevance as well. Yeah, I think we all got motivated to, to work on the co-creation part, uh, to collaborate with local institutions or whatever party. So it's really nice to hear that you were actually able to do this and to give something back to the local community and not just get input from them, for example, for interviews. Yeah, I think this co-creation process that we have been spammed with from the beginning on <laughs> of our of our master degree i'm glad that i was able to use it um yeah the reason that i was able to collect my data was because after we came back um, from the field in October 2019, this whole co-creation process actually started together with the University of Utrecht, uh, my supervisor, but also my colleagues from Malawi and my colleagues from the Netherlands. Together, we, in the end, we came up with this, with this research question. And 
uh, also due to this co-creation process, we were able to work together on this from the beginning on. Yeah, co-creation was really a strong part of your thesis from what it seems like. And it's not just theoretical like co-creation that you have to make up a way to include the locals in your research, but actually your research starts from the locals because the locals wanted business alternatives in order to make a sustainable community actually resilient. And yeah, that's where you come in. Yeah, indeed. It's nice how you are you explaining this because this is, was also my introduction before my focus group discussions and my surveys or any informal interviews. I explained to them like the only reason that I was there was because some of their fellow youth, they spoke up. I'm glad like that they that they did because if they didn't, we of course would not be aware of this situation or not in that much detail as they were able to explain us. So you moved there in the beginning of February after already being there in October. How was your experience moving back in in February? Like, how did you settle in? How did you find your home? I felt at home from the first moment on again. People say like that Malawi is the warm heart of Africa. And I would totally agree. After the first moment I arrived in October, I, I just felt safe and on my place. Like sometimes you come to a new country and you have the feeling that you have to adjust a bit. And this was for me not the case with Malawi. I just felt very welcome. It was a place in Kalimanjira near the Chapananga Trading Center. And some of my colleagues, like our field staff, they arranged this house for me. And it was nice because it was like, it, it was big enough. But the day I arrived, I realized that it was an empty house. So yeah, I, I just bought a mattress on the way. And then, yeah, the first two weeks, I only had like a bed net and a mattress in my house. This was all I had. Minimalism at the finest. <laughs> yeah. Like, of course, me and my cockroaches were having a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I should have. <laughs> um, and there was like this local carpenter and I asked him if he could maybe make a chair and like a table. So in the end, I had some more things in my house. Okay. And uh, what did your week look like when you were there living for the first times in your home? So my days in Kalimanjira were full with collecting and working on my data. Sometimes not, because there were some issues with electricity every now and then. So sometimes I had to save the battery of my laptop. And then I had to read a book during the day, which was like horrible, of course. <laughs> um, forced to take time off. <laughs> yeah, forced to take time off, indeed. And also one of the reasons that I made these longer days was because I... I also wanted to go to Blantyre every now and then just to hang out with other people that were doing research or were like um, working as medical students over there. But the trip to Blantyre is quite long. So then I had to already leave on Friday and most of the times I had to travel back on Monday because it's not safe to travel by night. Um, not because people will harm you, but more like that the road conditions are already really dangerous. So... It's better to only travel when the sun during is out. the day when the sun is out. Yeah. Okay. 
I didn't make that much trips as I was planning to do so because the first two weekends I also just stayed in uh, Kalimunjera to blend in. Like I, I didn't want to create this feeling that I was only there to collect data, but that I was really going to live there for three months. So the first two weekends I didn't leave the area. And then when I started leaving the area again, it all went down south quite soon. So I, <laughs> I already had some trips planned for the next few weeks, but they, yeah, I had to cancel them. Such of a pity. <laughs> Can you give us a little snapshot of Chapananga Trading Center and where you were living? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was living at the back road in a small trading center, Chapananga indeed. Uh, this trading center is located on a dirt road that goes all the way from Chikwawa Boma, which is like a provincial city uh, south of Blantyre. Um, and from Chikwawa Boma, this dirt road goes all the way to the Mozambican border. And getting from uh, Chikwawa to Chapananga could take like one and a half hours. But sometimes it took me three hours, like depending on the road conditions. The, it was raining a lot the time that I was there. Uh, accidents happened on the road. The, the minivans couldn't drive fast. Uh, sometimes we got stuck. Or and you had to p push out the car from the mud? I, of course, offered my, my help, but they were like, no, no, you should stay inside. <laughs> <laughs> and one time, like, I, I, I took a motorbike from Chukwawa and we ended up with a flat tire, which needed to be fixed oh, along wow. the road. So it was always an adventure going from Chukwawa back home. What will happen? We never know. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in a house uh, with four rooms, which was totally <laughs> empty, like I explained. And there was no running water. There was a connection with electricity, but it, it happened quite often that it was off. Outside, there was a pit latrine uh, and a small room in which I could take a bath. And the borehole was like one or two minutes walking from my house. So that was, that was good. Like I didn't have to make like <laughs> long trips to get my water. Yeah, that that was the village. I would say maybe that there were around a thousand people living there. Yeah. Did you also meet a lot of locals? And how was your experience with the local culture? Um, yeah, I think I I had the opportunity to experience the local culture a bit, but I think my time over there was too short to really integrate into it. And I would have loved to stay longer to get to know more about it. The thing that I did experience was that people were very welcoming. And I did meet some of the local people, especially neighbors, people um, maybe not living directly to my house, but close by in the village. During my first night, a group of young people came to me. They were all secondary school students. And they asked if they could practice their English with me a bit. And then in turn, they would learn me some Chichewa, which is the, the language of, of Malawi. They came back like almost every night for two weeks in a row just, just to chat about life, about how that is in the Netherlands, how we do our farming. Because many people 
also over there know about all the greenhouses and stuff. So yeah, I, I had some really good conversations with those young people, but also with, with neighbors that were able to speak a bit more English. Um, I felt really welcome. Oh, that's good to hear. Were there specific things about the culture that stood out for you? I think religion takes a really central position in in their culture. And that's something I'm personally not used to. But one day I, I went to church with my neighbor and I already talked with him about this. People in these areas know that we are not as religious anymore as we used to be in the past. And if I talk about we, I mean here in the Netherlands or other parts of Europe. So yeah, I, I knew that sooner or later this question would come up. So the moment he asked me whether I want to join the church, I first said yes, like I would love to go. But then um, I also explained to him like that I'm an atheist, but that I would be really open to experience the things that, that they were going to talk about in church. And yeah, he was also really open to that. And then we went to church one of the first things he did it was sharing with the rest of the church that <laughs> I was an atheist. <laughs> did that make you feel uncomfortable? Yes, a little bit. <laughs> because I shared it like to him personally, yeah. I thought. Um, but no, 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 it, it, it didn't matter. Like the people in, in the church were also really open and welcoming. And we did have conversations about this afterwards, so. Did you experience some obstacles while doing research in terms of cultural differences? No, not really anything, I would say. Of course, I'm not able to speak Chichewa, so I did need someone to help me out with translation. And there are people in the area whose English is well enough that I could conduct interviews, surveys, focus group discussions with them. But if I would only select those people that are able to speak English, it would create like a major bias. So I decided to ask someone to help me out with translation for all the data collection I did. That's maybe a thing. Besides yep. that, I'm, I'm no large struggles. No. Nice. And how did you find the process of finding a translator and working together with the translator? Was it difficult? How did you approach this person? I think this is also something I was lucky with that I could be there in October already. When we were there, we had like this session with in one of the epicenters and an employee of African Parks was there as well. African Parks is the organization who is conserving the wildlife reserve. And I just talked to, to this guy. And then when I came back, my colleagues already told me that probably his son would be able to help me out with translation. And he was actually around during the, the time that I was conducting my research. So together we did the interviews and the, the surveys. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like everything really fell into place. What would be the suggestion for a student who goes on research and has to find a translator? What would be the thing that you look for? I think it would be good to first like talk an evening with someone and just to experience how his or her English is. I think that's the major thing that there are many people 
that are able to speak some English, but is it well enough to really conduct a research? I think that's the second thing. Um, so what I did, I first talked to this young man for two hours and then the next morning he stopped by again and then we went through my survey and my interview guide to make sure that he was able to um, and he also felt comfortable enough to to be involved in this process because that's also a thing that you should always consider like you're asking someone from a local community to help you out with the research. You start asking questions to people. Are they comfortable enough to share these answers with their peers as well? Like, do they also want to share this personal and detailed information uh, with your translator if he is really their neighbor, maybe? So, yeah, um, such a good point that you raised, like the confidentiality and also what he's going to ask if he's also comfortable or she is comfortable with asking these questions. Yeah. So it goes both ways. Like, mm -hmm. of course, the the second <laughs> part in which um, someone from the community who is participating in the research, is he willing to share this information? That's something you will just find out during the survey. Yeah. But I think it's good to, to also talk about this with, with your translator, that he is also aware of this of this issue. Yeah. And what were the main findings from the surveys and the interviews that you collected in your research? Um, one of the findings I did really expect, and that is like that currently there is this program implemented, which is called Village Savings and Loan Associations, in which groups of people are trained and stimulated to save together and then lend out the accumulated savings to each other. But for young people... They, they don't have the cash available to join a group like this. They still need initial capital to, to start. So one of the points they raised is like more traditional microfinance, which really involves uh, some kind of outside cash, which people can borrow. They said, this is something we do need in our area. <laughs> I also tried to look, observe, and, and talk with people that are a bit more successful than their peers and to, to try and find out like what made it possible for them to do start this business as historically seen or like looking where they come from. They, they have comparable backgrounds. At first sight, they do not seem to differ that much from each other, but why does one youngsters succeed in starting up this business while another one doesn't have this success. After talking to both people that did succeed and with people that did not succeed, many people that are now running a business successfully use the profits from their cotton farming to buy the materials they needed to start up the business. And then as substantive farming is still such a large part of the livelihood of people, one could say, like, if the plots are too small, how can someone start farming cotton if he needs it for the maize or sogram? Which is a really valid point. In the end, I spoke to people which explained that indeed they use like one acre for maize, but that they then rent another plot 
to do their cash crop farming. And the amounts they need to invest are low compared with the profits that can be made. This was one of the main findings, like how can these local communities make sure that this part is available more widely than it is at this moment? Does it have to do with uh, farming input that needs to be available? Is it that the, the renting of plots need to be more accessible? These are all things that we can now start working on, like what opportunities are there? Wow, that sounds really interesting. And also like you really have some concrete findings that in the future organizations can can work with. We're almost at the end of the interview, but one question that we uh, ask all students is, what is one of your favorite moments of the fieldwork? At the end of my surveys, I always asked uh, the youngsters what they are looking for in the near future, then also what their aspirations are for in the long run. And one day I was conducting service together with my translator and we walked around this village for, for a full day and almost all of the respondents said that they want a Galimoto, uh, which is a car. So. We had so much fun during that day because we had no idea why suddenly all these people in this village were <laughs> talking about wanting a Galimoto. If I think back about that day, I'm looking forward to be back. <laughs> Are you planning to go back? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm planning to go back because I will continue to work for the organization and will be involved in the project that we are running in Malawi. So the moment things go back to normal, hopefully soon, I will have the opportunity to go back. Yes. Yeah. And continue your research also in a more applied way. Um, yes. Yes. It, it will not be as scientific as we were doing for the last few months, but I will continue working on this topic for sure. Yes. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. I'm wondering, what is the thing that stuck with you the most from your time in Malawi in the past few months? It has to do with something I just shared, like um, about how people are actively dreaming for, for a better future. It, it was so nice to see how after all those surveys, um, in the end, something positively came out like that was why I also included this question to make sure that that I would leave people with a laugh and not with a feeling like ah, I'm not able to set up a business because that was sometimes where the conversation was going to it was for me a way to at least try to make sure that I was not harming <laughs> the people I was my interviews and my surveys with and ah it was one of my best questions. It didn't give me that much content, but it was for sure like the one I was looking forward the most towards to ask. And yeah, if you look at people, like even how marginalized they are and likely to remain in a marginalized position, it says nothing about how they might imagine and actively seek for a better life. And I think this process is also really central in the work we do. We go from no, I can't to I can to we can. And I think this we can is something that's so central 
that I was really happy to see that this is not something that we think that is happening. No, I personally could like observe this for a few months, like how this really is like living in these villages. Like we can do it ourselves. That's what impressed me the most. Yes. Yeah. So inspiring and so positive to have such a experience, like such a testimony from a very local and marginalized world and to still see that people have hopes, dreams about a good future. Thank you, Tom, for sharing your story with us and thanks for listening. If you like our podcast, please share it on your social media. For more information on Tom's fieldwork experience, visit our Instagram at IDS Goes Abroad. See you next time. Music